At a time when ad tech is besieged by brand safety concerns, transparency issues, and industry-wide consolidation, the Trade Desk has been having a solid run. The demand-side programmatic ad buying platform, have we lost you yet? Generated $85.7 million in revenue during the first quarter of 2018. That's a 61% jump from the same period last year. A pioneer of real-time ad bidding, co-founder Jeff Green has described his company's goal as simple. Help the biggest buyers know what they're buying. Unlike Google, Facebook, and even Amazon, which boast massive walled garden ad platforms, the Trade Desk is uniquely positioned as an independent platform that supports ad agencies instead of disrupting them. I'm Brian Breaker, editor of AdAge, and today we are joined by Brian Stempeck, chief client officer at the Trade Desk. He's also the rhythm guitarist for the Trade Desk house band. Brian's job is in part to translate the bewildering jargon of the industry and parse the challenges and opportunities around things like cross-device targeting and leveraging data, specifically as it pertains to addressable TV. We'll get into all of that as de-jargoned as possible, plus going toe-to-toe with Google, what GDPR means for the future of ad tech consolidation, and what this week's AT&T acquisition of AppNexus means for the industry. So today, with Brian Stempak, the the chief client officer of the Trade Desk, joins us here on the AdLib podcast. Thanks for having me. I pronounced that correctly, Stempak. You, you got it. Brian with an I. Brian with an I. Okay, it's the only way to do it. Yeah, you don't want to sometimes <laughs> vowel in your yeah. first name. It's not a good look. <laughs> Absolutely, never trust a Brian with a Y. <laughs> Let's start there. Uh, well, actually, let's start with the news. Uh, we are recording this on the day uh, the news broke. Uh, AT&T is acquiring AppNexus, which is an ad tech platform. Wanted to talk to you a little bit, since you are here in the building, uh, uh, repping the trade desk, uh, with plans to integrate it into its advertising and analytics unit, AT&T. Yep. Um, the company works with marketers to help them buy ads, which in turn makes it a competitor of yours. Kind of. Uh, what, so break that down. What what does this mean for the trade desk? Yeah, so sometimes in the ad tech space, we try to make things as confusing and accessible as possible. As possible. Yep. Yep. Um, so AppNexus has a demand-side platform, yep. and that's what the trade desk is. That's we're demand. So we're mm-hmm. buy-side marketers and agencies. But the bigger asset in that acquisition is the sell-side platform. Okay. And so we think this is actually awesome news. What, really? this, what this is for AT&T is them saying, we're getting way more serious about mm-hmm. taking TV into programmatic than other networks, other cable operators have in the past. I mean, basically, the the Time Warner deal closed, and a week or two later, they go and drop $1.6 billion for ad tech. Mm-hmm. And, and that's mostly to monetize TV supply. And you're the you we you're the TV guy when it comes yeah. to trade desk. So in your mind this is a, a, a potential step closer to or or equipping us to get a step qu- closer to addressable TV in a real way. Is that yeah, right? I mean sometimes what you see in like the TV world is uh, TV networks, the cable companies desperately holding on to the old way. Uh-huh. Sell at the upfront, let's get a commitment every year, let's sell on age demo, Nielsen GRPs and Consumers have already changed, right? Mm. Like the way I watch TV, I suspect the way you watch TV, mm. you watch it on Roku, you watch it on Apple right. TV, some kind of device, and you you stream content. So consumers yeah. have moved, and the and the the advertising hasn't caught up. Not yet. Need, right. It reminds me of like the days when like for years everyone would say, "Is this the year of mobile? Mm-hmm. Is it finally the year of mobile?" Mm-hmm. Because we're all glued to our smartphones, but mobile 
ad spend hadn't caught up, there's still that gap right now. People are spending way more time with connected TV and over the top than the ad dollars would otherwise indicate. And so I think you know, if you take somebody who's been selling TV for 30 years, the idea of now saying to them, okay, I, I want to sell TV, but in a programmatic fashion or through ad tech, they're like, I don't want to deal with this. Mm-hmm. I'd rather just avoid it. And there are some companies, and I put AT&T and Brian Lesser on that list. Brian Lesser's the, the CEO of their new advertising and yep. analytics unit. And he was the, the godfather of Zaxxis back in the day, ran Group M, North America. And now he's saying, well, how do we take TV into the next generation of, of ad sales? How do we do it? <laughs> so it, it all comes down to like using data at the more of the household level. And, and what that looks like is, you know, I have the issue today where I'll be watching a baseball game on broadcast TV. And you'll see the same ad 30, 40, 50 right. times. Like, there's a massive frequency problem that we as a marketing community just kind of choose to ignore right. or I, not acknowledge. I experienced it on Hulu until I just went ad free because right. and part of it was just, I can't. I can't see one more. Yeah, and who's, who's trying to solve it? Right? I mean, <laughs> right. they they should they are able to solve it. Yeah. But there's, I think, part of the reason they and other streaming players aren't is like they're still adhering to the old rules of right. TV about like separating this ad next to this one inside the the pod and those kind of rules. But in digital, it's super easy to control. It's like one of the controls in our platform or in any DSP is I want to show three ads per 24 hours. I want to show 10 ads per ever. That's mm-hmm. it. That's what I as the marketer want to do. That should be the way it works in TV as well, and because everything's internet connected, you can do that. But it, it hasn't taken hold yet. So, do you think this is? So, you're. In, it sounds like you're saying this will accelerate that process. Yeah. Um, is AT and T though creating uh, another walled garden that could put it on course to compete with a, a Google or a Facebook? I don't think so, because um, I think the difference is like a Facebook or a Google, they have a quasi monopoly in their respective areas. Google is the only real search player. Facebook is really the only major primary social player at this point. So they can kind of afford to say, we're the only game in town. For If you want to buy our inventory, you come mostly directly to us. TV-wise? No, just for their ad inventory in general. But AT&T is... Sorry, sorry, I meant AT&T. Sorry, go ahead. But with AT&T, they're not... I don't think they're quite big enough to pull that off. They've got like 20% market share in, in the cable world. You add Time Warner, it's a good portfolio of cable networks, but it's not like... They now have eighty or ninety percent of the TV world. Where they can say, we're, "Well, we're the only game in town for TV. Come to us." I think they're better off, and I think, that, and I think this is what they'll do: is that they'll take AppNexus as a sell side platform and connect it to as much demand as possible. Mm-hmm. You go connect it to every DSP, every agency who wants to buy it, and if you're the owner of TV inventory and it's super premium and it's scarce and it's valuable, that's a good place for an auction. Like sometimes when I look at the history of programmatic, it started in display ads, where there's way too many. Like an auction's actually not a great place for display ads because there's way more supply than demand. Right. And TV, it's the opposite. And Jeff Green, the the co-founder of Trade Desk, is one of the sort of pioneers of real-time bidding. That's right. Right. Yeah. You know? So blame it all on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, you okay? You mentioned Google. Uh, if it is significantly. It, it really is, like I was looking at some numbers today, it's significantly more dominant in every stage of the supply chain than anyone else. How does Trade Desk compete with that? Yeah, so I mean, I think the thing to keep in mind is that Google as an entity is like hundreds of different portfolio companies, right? right. The, there's Google Search, there's YouTube, there's their space program, there's the million different things that they do every day. Mm-hmm. We compete with one division of Google, which right. is their DSP inside DoubleClick. Right. And they have they do have a powerful uh, platform, which is it connects a bunch of things together. But the one thing that we do differently 
that's really the primary kind of selling point is that we're objective. We have no dog in the fight when it comes to buying media. Mm-hmm. So if you're if you're a marketer and you give your budget to Facebook or Google and say, uh, hey, run a media mix model for me. How much should I spend on every channel? The answer you're going to get back is, oh, you should spend most of it here with Google right. or here, yeah, here with Facebook. Yeah, it's a one-stop shop. Right. Yeah. Because we don't own media and we're not taking position on media, we're just looking for the best outcome. So we go and say, okay, you're Nike. You're trying to build your brand with 18 to 24-year-olds. We think they've all moved to Hulu. Go run ads on Hulu. We think they've all moved to Spotify. Go out run ads there. We have, we're totally agnostic as to where media gets spent. All we care is that the advertiser gets their result. That's the biggest difference. Well, that's, that's, very, very, that's very big of you. <laughs> <laughs> They've got a lot yeah. of bandages, well, right? it, But it's working out for you. You guys obviously run a, a solid business. You had a monster first quarter. You had a, a strong 2017. Um, the narrative, the prevailing narrative up until recently was that winter is coming uh, you know, to the loom escape and that, that you know, there was a VC drought. Um, there's a consolidation. Uh, what is happening in the in the ad tech space from yeah. where you're sitting? I, I think it is consolidating. Yeah. So that is absolutely happening. It's happening on the sell side. There's fewer SSPs. It's happening on the buy side. So since you're still around, you're having a better time than the yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit easier than it was a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, but it's becoming where there's economies of scale of being bigger, right? Mm. Like you have lower costs as a tech company if you're a bigger player on machines, hardware, you can hire easier. There's a lot of advantages that start to snowball as you become one of the the larger players. But I think part of that is also programmatic is growing up a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, five years ago, it was a tiny part of every marketer's budget and they didn't really pay attention to it. Now it's becoming the way they buy most digital and it's becoming the way they, they buy TV as well. So marketers and agencies are paying way more attention to how they buy it and looking at all the different well, and they're also the paying attention to it because of you know we've we've had the spate of brand safety scares. Yep. Uh, P and G said, okay, we're not going to go on on YouTube anymore because you know who knows where our ads are going to show up against. How do you how do you counter or adjust for that? Right. We think about that as it's a category threatening problem. Like if people don't think that programmatic is brand safe or that's a bunch of fraud, that's a huge problem not only for us but everybody in the industry. So. You know, we had seen for years where we partner with these companies who help on brand safety. So like coming like Integral or Double Verify. And these are just like check boxes in a platform that go and scan the ads you buy. Um, we decided last year that wasn't enough. And so we had seen the problem wasn't getting a lot better. It was getting more headlines. We were seeing marketers who were pulling spend out of programmatic because of that. Right. And so we said, let's go do a deal upstream. Let's address this before it even hits our platform. So we partnered with this company called White Ops. They... Yeah, break down what White Ops does. Sure. Um, so what, what they do is they help us scan every ad impression before we even consider buying it. And so the, the analogy I use internally at the company is like, if you're running a grocery store, you would never stock the shelves with spoiled milk. And they'd be like, oh no, we have a no spoiled milk return policy. Come on back if it's spoiled. You, you just have to come back and return and we'll give you a refund. Mm-hmm. Like that's a, that's a shitty policy as a grocery store. Mm-hmm. That's basically what ad tech have, had been doing for the past decade. Oh, you bought a bunch of fraudulent ads? Like come back to the store and we'll give you a, a credit going forward. Like I have an idea, let's not sell spoiled milk. Mm-hmm. And so we scan all the ads before they get to our platform so that you don't have to buy the bad ones in the first place. That's right, no one likes, no one likes spoiled milk. Well, I think the, uh, the way to think about it too is like, uh, Ten years ago, if your credit card got stolen and you get a phone call from the credit card company, it would be like a major pain, right? You right. have to be fight for months. And now it's like they alert you immediately. They're like, hey, are you in the Ukraine right now? 
right. you're like, I am not. And they, they refund the charge immediately. It becomes, there comes like a manageable level of fraud or theft in any industry. And that's what we're trying to approach. So is this, like, this is what you mean when you're saying that it's the programmatic has grown up. A little yeah. Bit. You have, you have, you have players and actors like White Ops in there who that's can right. sort of help, help police and monitor. Um, one of the you know recent sort of rumblings that, that I've heard about Trade Dust is in the most reading, recent earnings call, you guys highlighted Mazda, its uh, WPP agency, and the Trade Desk is sort of like a fruitful three-way yeah. partnership, right? Um, there were some rumblings about Trade Desk poaching customers. This is sort of scuttlebutt you hear around. You know, why are such allegations do you think circulating given the importance that Trade Desk claims to put on respecting agency relationships, as you were saying earlier? Yeah, I, th- I think the suspicion is always there because that's what every other DSP did. Right. So, But you're saying it's not a valid. It's not true, yeah. Okay. So uh, we, when we launched the company in 2009, most DSPs were having this moment of like, okay, do we go with the agencies, the brands, and all of them try to do both. Mm-hmm. And what happens is you end up alienating one side or the other. And we went out and said, well, let's go power the agencies. We think for the most part, they're the ones who can be pushing the buttons in DSP. Like They buy media for a living. They'll probably be the ones who continue to buy media for a living. And we think they serve value. Like I've been in pitches with brands where um, you're meeting with them and they'll say, hey, we, hey, trade us. We want you to come manage these campaigns for us. We're, come replace our agency. And my response to that is, even though we're the largest DSP, we've got 900 people in 13 countries, you have holding company agencies that have tens of thousands of employees in 100 plus countries. There's no way we can provide the level of service. There's a reason those companies exist, to help you buy media and all these different channels. What I do think is happening is that more brands want tech contracts, just like they do in everything else in SaaS. They want a contract with a DSP, they want a contract with a DMP, things like that. It, that doesn't mean the DSP has to do the service. So we have a bunch of brands now who have come to us and say, you know, we want a contract with you so we can negotiate a global spend commitment or we can have transparency on reports or whatever else. But the agency still has access and, and runs all the campaigns. They're still the service provider for us. Mm-hmm. That's fine. That's the model we encourage. But we don't go around our clients and try to take those those brands directly, and you said that you said the T word transparency. Yeah, you get uh, volume based incentives from platforms you buy from. Do you have some kind of provision where you pass back any rebates they receive? We do, well, we don't get rebates for right. buying. So, like, keep in mind, like, so we're a self serve tech platform, and so when an agency goes on our platform or and they say, okay, I want to buy ad inventory on Spotify, they control that. They control in most cases like the price they're going to pay, the relationship. We're just the the pipes, as sexy as that is, <laughs> where the pipes connecting some, some into pipes sexy. <laughs> some pipes are sexy. <laughs> uh, but we don't, because of that, we can't go commit to Spotify and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to guarantee you 50 million in spend this year. We don't have that spend offer. That's up to the brand or the agency. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So then break down your perspective on, we're, we're hitting all this, speaking of sexy, sexy topics here, GDPR, um, especially as you're pushing sort of harder into international markets, which you guys have been doing. Yeah. Um, does, how does GDPR affect that for you guys? And is it do you see it accelerating the consolidation that we were talking about? I think it could. I think it it goes back to the the consolidation part. I mean, there are a bunch of smaller data companies out there, smaller DSPs that neither of us has really heard of that have been operating on the sidelines or in the shadows of bad tech for a long time. I think that starts to go away when you start saying to a publisher or consumer, "I want your cons- consent." for every cookie, every device ID, and that's gonna be passed along the chain. 
the smaller players who aren't credible start to do. And I think again, that's mostly a good thing. It's the industry growing up that somebody who is you know mining location data from one of your apps as a consumer that you didn't even know was happening and then was reselling that. That should be above board, and like the publisher should get a cut of that. Like it should be declared for you. I think that's starting to happen now. The rollout was super messy. Like, Boy, it, it, it felt to me at times like a, when you go to it'll be like showing up at a college final exam, and everyone was up the whole night before, and like <laughs> no one was remotely prepared. Like the, as an industry, probably wasn't our finest moment, but <laughs> it was. Uh, yeah. Is it? I mean, but everyone's ready now, or we're still we there some stragglers. I think a lot of people got ready quickly, but then yeah, there's a number of publishers who are still figuring this out. Fine tune it. Yeah, and uh, there's, that's okay. There's time for that. I mean, it takes time to roll out. Do you guys consult them at all on that? Um, more so with the tech companies they work with, with mm-hmm. the SSPs, but they're in, with the larger publishers that we work with. Sure, yeah, we're trying to advise on how they mean because we're a large spender with many of them. Mm-hmm. So of course they want to keep that going. And then talk about your data play. Last year, you had your first ever acquisition. It was the um, cross-device identity graph company, AdBrain. Yeah. That's a mouthful. It is. Uh, between that and the GDPR, and, and there's also uh, this, this week, even fast-moving introduction of data protection laws in California, where you're moving to. Yeah. Uh, how does all of this affect the trade desk business in terms of, of data? Do you see a world in which users will ultimately say, uh, you know, I don't want this company having that access to my data. So let me back up and start with the cross-device side. Because okay. I think because it's so uh, difficult to explain, people don't always realize the benefit of it, which is all the cross-device, device graph, identity, solution, all that really means is I can estimate that this is the same user across phone, desktop, connected to be any Correct. device in the household. Mm-hmm. And for consumer, that can be a good thing, right? Like, I just booked this hotel stop showing me ads for the hotel mm-hmm. and don't show me ads on my phone instead of my desktop computer. Like actually cap me out across those things. That can be a good thing that's not well explained. I think that goes to the, the broader theme of the industry overall hasn't done a good job of explaining the quid pro quo mm-hmm. of the internet. Publishers, content owners, people creating videos, like they have a trade-off of getting ad spend in exchange for the content. The internet is largely free. Like you talked about, we were talking earlier about with Hulu, you went to the paid version. Mm-hmm. Only about 20% of people pay for Hulu. About the same number for Spotify. 80% go for the free version. I pay for Spotify too. Right. I'm a sucker. So yeah, so <laughs> you, you have no idea the pain people are feeling with, with the ads. But that experience can get a lot better. And those artists on Spotify are, are paid because of that ad experience. But I think at times there's this assumption from consumers like, the internet's just free forever, that trade-off is what makes it happen. The trade-off of saying, I can run targeted ads on Spotify, means that some awesome band gets paid. Like the, That link has not always been clearly explained, I don't think. You know, I think that there there is an increasing uh, level of sophistication around under on the consumer side of yeah. understanding the importance of, of, of cross-device identity. But, but privacy, across the boards has also become you know a major scuttlebutt sure. <laughs> in the industry so yes there is value to like if i see it do a thing on my phone i want my id on my laptop to know about it but how do you at, at the trade desk talk about privacy when you're when you're out there translating what you do to people yeah i think the biggest thing is to think about drawing a line between you know a company like facebook and us if i'm thinking about facebook and some of the data issues that they've had that's because they have your name, 
your email, your phone number, your photos, and 10 years, 12 years of relationships you've had, pretty sensitive information, that's not the data that fuels much of programmatic. And so most of what we're looking at is, is data points around, are you shopping for a new car? Are you in market for a trip? Do we think that you're a male 18 to 34? More, and, and it goes a little bit more narrow than that. But the general idea is I think when consumers are creeped out and they're worried about privacy, they're much more concerned with, did Facebook track every single place I went to for the last 12 years and store that? Right. That's scary. In, in our world, you clear your cookies, you start to clear that data out, you opt out from advertising, and we honor that signal. But, and so, but people know what Facebook is. I would imagine if you walked out in the street and you said, you know, I work for Trade Desk, True. they would not know what that means necessarily. Yep. What do you tell people at, at cocktail parties what you do? I, How I do tell you them explain I, it to I them? I pay artists on Spotify <laughs> so <laughs> they can have a... very noble of you. But. <laughs> uh, no, actually, the, so I actually used to be a journalist. Yeah. And so I was a journalist for five years, and so I was one of the people who was paid uh, a salary because of advertising. And the way I think about it is, like, I want great journalists and great creators to get paid. And so what I, what I actually do say this to cocktail parties, and people probably roll their eyes, but uh, the thing that I would say to them is, if you do acknowledge that you're going to see ads on the internet, wouldn't you rather be seeing ads for things that are relevant to you? And that versus when the internet first started and you saw, you know, the belly fat ad on Yahoo Mail ten thousand times. Like, that's not really that relevant to me. Mm. Maybe it is now. It wasn't then. <laughs> the toe fungus one was the one I always <laughs> got. Uh, so, AdBrain, that was your first acquisition. It's safe to say that that, that it's been working out for you. Yeah, right? it's gone really well. Uh, any other? Acquisitions on the horizon. Anything you're looking at? Uh, no, I mean we like our, with our culture as a company. We think a lot about. We always try to tackle building things internally first. Mm-hmm. We have a large engineering team, and sometimes I think companies underestimate what it takes to do a merger and acquisition properly. Mm-hmm. It's a huge distraction to absorb a large number of people. AdBrain for us is about 20 people. Great tech. We could easily. We we're already a customer of theirs. We we're already using their technology, so it was a pretty turnkey thing. Um, our space moves so fast that like our worry is if you go out and do some massive acquisition, it, it could slow you down pretty substantially. And then that's how we stay ahead of our competition. Mm. So it does move so fast. It's just in the, in the past. Yeah, we've covered 19 topics in the past <laughs> yeah. seven minutes. So. Uh, well, is there anyone you want to go deeper in? Uh, there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot. Uh, we could uh, we could kind of bring it back to to TV. I mean, that's what what you sort of introduce yourself as before yeah. we turn on like being being your um, sort of main area of focus. Um, how do you talk when you're speaking to advertisers? What are you hearing from them in terms of concerns, or how do you talk to them about con- con- connected TV's lack of broadcast caliber reach? Is that an issue for you guys? So I think that's a fallacy. I mean, I think it does have broadcast caliber reach now. Right. So I mean, when I, when I think about it, what we saw in the past year was that a year ago, you, you'd be absolutely right. There, there probably wasn't enough scale to run a major campaign for Mazda or whoever else. But what changed was that consumers started moving over to skinny bundles. It's like a Dish Sling, DirecTV Now, or the, the Hulu offering. And that created this explosion in volume where we saw this 10x increase in the amount of ads that you could run. And then once the scale is there, the ad dollars start to follow. Because then you can start doing the really cool things. Like in the Mazda example we cited, they shifted from buying age demo, which is how everyone buys TV, uh, like, okay, 18 to 49 male is who I'm buying. They shifted to say, let's target people in market to buy a Mazda. Who do we think are the people most likely to buy a Mazda? And they bought some data from companies like Oracle, and they use their own CRM data. 
that's how they buy TV now. That's that's a huge change from buying on age and gender in the past. And I think that's the way most advertisers are headed. Now, you, can you go spend $5 billion and connect to TV the way you can in TV and snap your fingers? Not yet. But I think back to what we started with, when you see Time Warner and AT&T wanting to light up all their inventory programmatically, that can change it. Now you are talking about billions of dollars transacting. Okay, so but you're talking about changing how you target. What do you do about that sort of missing link on, okay, well, did, did it work? Well, that's what the cross-device graph gives you. Right. So like... How so? We break that Yeah, down. sure. Yeah. So um, the easiest way to think about it is one of the signals that can be used to link different devices is IP address. So on your Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. What are the devices in your household all connected to that same Wi-Fi address? That can start to tell you, all right, I showed someone 10 Mazda ads over a two-week period. Did they then go to Mazda.com on their desktop computer? Did they then take some other action? Did they purchase something? Like You can sort of link between those devices. Can you follow them offline? Uh, you can't directly, but there are companies that will onboard that data. So like, let's say somebody goes and buys a car, they register it, that goes into a database at some point, and then you can track it back. Great. So what is, what is the... The conver- in the conversations that you're having with advertisers, what are their sort of biggest pain points? What are they, what are they, what are they bringing to you in terms of their concerns? I think the, the biggest pain point is, uh, is this migration from broadcast into digital. Most of their dollars are still spent on broadcast TV, and they know they want to do it differently, mm-hmm. but they're struggling with how. And I think the agencies and marketers are both struggling with this because the upfronts are a super efficient way to transact and go out and do a commit. But there's a lot of things that are broken about that model as well. But there, that's in, you know, 30 or 40 years of people transacting that way. It's muscle memory, it's scale, it's also it's, it's transparency, it's safety. It's a safer, you know, at least as we've, we were talking about earlier in yeah. the last year, it's a safer, safer place to put your money. I mean, or it has been. Has sure. Been. I mean, in connected TV, the way what we see people buying, they're buying cable networks, they're buying broadcast, it's all the same quality level that you're buying in, in broadcast TV. Um, here's, here's why it matters. So like we did a study with Nielsen, because a lot of our advertisers still want to measure, what did Nielsen say about the gross ratings points I got from this? Is it, is it true? Are enough people here that this matters? And so what we did was we passed all the data to Nielsen and said, who did we reach? How did we do if you just count apples to apples on GRPs? And what Nielsen found was that 41% of the people we showed ads to had not seen any broadcast ads. And so if you're a CMO sitting there thinking, 40% of the people I'm trying to reach are not seeing it on broadcast, that, that is the tipping point moment where like, if that number is 5 or 10%, you can kind of live with that, right? Mm-hmm. That's more of a rounding error. When you're approaching half of your audience, and I would argue that with 18 to 34-year-olds, probably most, if not all of them, mm-hmm. they, they're maybe splitting their time between broadcast and OTT, or they're spending most of their time on OTT. That's no longer a nice to have on your media plan. That's a, that's a must have. And, that, and that's where the dollars really do start to come in. Great. Uh, talk about your trade desk rock band. Yeah. <laughs> this is the best company band. <laughs> So uh, you play guitar. I play guitar. Yeah. I, I would like to say lead. I actually play rhythm. Our lead guitarist, thank God, retired this year. He is just too good to surpass. I, I think rhythm guitar is totally underrated. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think it's a very important instrument. So about four years ago, uh, our CTO played in a band, mm-hmm. and he, he played bass in a band that was signed. Right. Uh, 
we have a guy internally who toured with Ashley Simpson. Uh-huh. So he was like the studio musician who can play piano. He, unbelievable. Yeah. And so a couple years ago, we're like, we're just kind of bored. We have this annual company meeting where everyone flies in. We're like, let's start a band and play during this uh, annual meeting. Yeah. And you know, with most company bands, everyone assumed we were going to suck. Right. And I'm like, you understand, this is the best. I've been in a bunch of bands. This is the best band I've ever been in by a long shot. So what, what did you what did you hit him with first? All originals. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so we played a bunch of different like cover songs. But so the first year we did it, we got singers from different offices, and you know, people were blown away because it's, it's actually a good band. So fast forward to last year, we played the House of Blues in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. We had like full. Uh, like team producing it, we had in-ear mics, we had like a smoke machine. Like it's a pretty, it's a pretty good. Every year, all the new people are like, "Oh, this company band's gonna suck." It does not suck. <laughs> so, what are some of the songs you can never go? Uh, so this year we played a couple of Aerosmith songs. We played, uh, we played "Walk This Way." We played um, the best one was we played "The Killers," um, Mr. Brightside. Uh-huh. But one of our guys from our London office rapped it. Instead of singing it, that was that was pretty great. Our marketing team did Despacito. Oh no! Yeah, you don't uh, like that? It's too uh, big, too big a hit for you. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm I'm fully on board. Uh, you guys are based in L.A., right? Uh, I come to space in Ventura. Ventura. It's like a surf town about an hour north of L.A. And that's where you're moving. I moved to L.A. in a week. In a week. Well, best of luck to you. Is there anything that we didn't talk? I know we sort of. Skim the surface on a lot of topics, didn't go super deep. Is there anything that that, that you wanted to get into or talk about? I, th- I think the biggest thing that people don't really understand about programmatic in general is the amount of insights they get from it. Like because we see the whole internet, we have a pretty good idea of how to define a, a customer base. Like it, like if you take an automaker, and they know okay these are people in market for new car, they have this income, things like that. We can go out and tell them, like, these are the apps they use. They're mostly using Pandora and not Spotify. They tend to heavy up in the Midwest and the Pacific Northwest. These are the geos they're in. Give them all these really rich insights about, here's what we can know about your customers, and that's before you buy any media. Because we're looking at 9 or 10 million ads a second, so we're seeing the entire internet kind of go by. Mm-hmm. I think marketers don't fully appreciate yet what that can mean for media planning. And so we're, we're starting to try to help them and the agencies with that of, you know, right now, planning and media buying are two different functions inside most organizations. And I think that's going to start to change over the next few years, where usually the media buyer gets handed a plan and they say, okay, I'm going to go execute on this from the strategy and the planning team. I think that comes full circle, where like, that programmatic team now has these really rich insights to say, well, hey, you told me to buy nationally. I'm going to tell you that buying the Southeast is a waste of time for this brand. Let's heavy up in these other areas. And again, you can't do that on broadcast TV, right? You can't do that in older channels. You can in most digital. Right. I think that that's a sort of, you're seeing this rebundling trend at, at agencies across the board where yeah. they're sort of bringing the creative and the data and uh, planning all all together. So it seems like a sort of natural outgrowth. Of yeah, that. I think that's right. Because I mean, I, I, I'd say that like creative for the most part has also been left behind by this. Like you see very often... You, know, you go to a shopping website, you look at a pair of shoes, and you see the product targeting, and that's like very fine-grained creative. But then you, you know, look at Geico or an insurer, and you see that same ad a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. I think there's somewhere in the middle there where you see more variation in the creative side. The data hasn't really gotten to the creative. Yeah, we, yeah, we don't see a lot. You don't hear the word creative, creative a lot when it comes to programmatic. No, it's all about targeting, right. execution, ROI. Like I think creative is probably the next big frontier for that. Great. Well, looking forward to it. Cool. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
I want to thank Brian Stempeck. He's the chief client officer for the Trade Desk for joining us today. I'm Brian Breaker, editor of Ad Age. You are listening to AdLib. Subscribe to us at iTunes. Give us all the stars. You can listen to us at Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, wherever there are good podcasts. Just tell a friend. Today's episode was produced by Alfred Mascaroni. Come back next week. We have another very special guest just for 